Well, we'll go ahead and shift gears now from that to our new message series. We just came off of a year-long message series, and I am really excited about the new message series that we're going to start today, which is titled Unstuck, and it's about overcoming the hang-ups that we all go through sometimes through Christ's help. And I want to tell you that wherever you are in your spiritual journey right now, there is something in this message series for you. You might be in a spot that you've been a follower of Christ for decades. But even so, sometimes we feel like we're spinning our wheels, don't we? Right? Okay, <laughs> okay. You with me? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, others might have just become a Christian here in the last year, and, and thanks be to God. But you might still feel like you're stuck in some kind of behavior or some kind of attitude or identity marker from the past. And others still, you come in today and you're not sure what you believe about all of this faith and Christianity stuff. And we are so glad that you're here right where you are. And we believe that there is something in this next series, these next seven weeks, that can help you in your spiritual journey as you seek to grow in character and grow spiritually. We all feel stuck from time to time in one thing or another. There was a uh, middle school, Sunday school teacher who asked her class if the color blue represented good people and the color orange represented bad people, then what color would you be? And the middle school students kind of looked at her, not really sure if they should raise their hand and answer this question until one brave soul raised his hand and he said, I, I think I'd be streaky. Like, exactly, right? All of us would be. If we were asked that question and we were to be honest, we would have to say, I'm streaky. I do really well in this area. I've been dealing with bitterness in my life. That's blue. But I compare myself so positively to other people. And that's kind of orange. I'm streaky. Or I've been dealing with this area of lust but not with this area of lust. I'm streaky. I have been overcoming shame and the lies, the labels that people have given to me, and yet I ache with this burden of loneliness and despair that comes from I'm streaky. And we all can get stuck in some of these patterns from time to time if we are not careful. And so what we're going to do is go on this ride over these next seven weeks in which we look at these bumper stickers, if you will, that kind of get stuck to our souls if we're not careful. And how do we get unstuck from, how do we take those off of us so that we are defined by the things that Jesus say, says about us as opposed to by our failures or the things the world says about us, the things that someone else that we look up to might say about us. And in these next seven weeks, well, we're going to look at things like bitterness, and comparison, and apathy, and fear, and lust, and loneliness. Does this address you at all? I think all of us will be addressed by something in this sermon series. I want you to know over these past 10 days, I've really, really been praying for you. I've been praying for our church. And I've been asking God to, to move in a few of your hearts in a great way. Perhaps this morning, 
And then a few more hearts perhaps next week as we talk about overcoming the thief of comparison next week. And then the next week as we talk about the curse of bitterness, the poison of bitterness, and then the ache of loneliness. I'm praying that each week God would move in a few people's hearts in this room. I am not naive enough to believe that all of us are going to be transformed each week that you come to church. I don't believe that for a moment. And you might hear in these next seven weeks a message that really doesn't apply to you, and that's fine too. You might even hear one that's really boring to you. That's fine too. Not every message will be all that interesting to you. But my guess is in these next seven weeks, there will be something that applies to you, and I'm praying that God would work in a few of our souls. And he would begin to move us to make decisions that are more aligned with his will for our lives. And he moves in such a way, if he moves in such a way in your life, I would just ask that you, just, just send me a note. Just, just send me an email or grab me in the hall and let me know that. Because what we're about in this room, what we're about in this church is transformation. And I have the gall to believe that you can change. I have the gall to believe that I can change. That no matter where we are today, God can transform us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory as we rely on the Spirit of God who is in us. We're building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. That is our mission statement. And I believe that God would have us become overcomers who are victorious through the grace, through the love, through the blood of Jesus Christ. You believe that? You know, one of Jesus' purpose statements was this. John 10.10. He has a number of purpose statements in the Gospels. In John 10.10, he says this. I have come that you would have life and have it to the the full. Let's, Let's say it together. Let's say it together. I have come that you would have and have it to the full. Other translations say, I've come that you would have life and have it in abundance. You would have it more fully that would begin to overflow in you. This is one of Jesus' purpose statements. Not just that we would eke through life till we get to heaven, but he came to give us real, abundant life. That we would be victorious rather than spinning our wheels in the mud, if you know what I'm saying. The Apostle Paul likewise said this in the book of Romans. He's going through a whole litany of things that could get us down. Loneliness, despair, suffering, evil, frustration, our own failures, rejection from other people. And he says, can any of these things separate you from the love of God? And then he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. You are more than a conqueror, more than an overcomer, through Jesus Christ who loves us. This is what he wants for us as we would live out his lifestyle on a day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out basis. And that's what we're going to go after in this series, an increasing sense of being overcomers, victorious by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ready to get started? All right, let's, let's get started here this morning. And our first topic today, as we go through these, these next seven weeks, The first one that can get us down and get us stuck if we're not careful is the scourge of apathy. The scourge of apathy. And none of us really wants to admit that sometimes we get apathetic, but all of us live in a generation that can be quite apathetic. And interestingly, as we'll talk about some today, we can be really, really hardworking 
in one area of life, but we can get incredibly apathetic in a different area of life. So we want to address this a little bit this morning. Some psychologists and sociologists have said that we have an epidemic of apathy in our culture such that this culture, this generation, has been labeled the apathetic generation. We've been labeled by many the apathetic generation. We all want a few deep, vulnerable friendships, but so often we settle for a thousand superficial connections on Instagram with no depth to them at all, don't we? The latest studies indicate that American adults, though we want to redeem the time that we have been given, American adults are spending an average of five hours and four minutes a day watching TV and movies. Five hours and four, I'm not talking about kids, I'm talking about American adults. We're bored, so much so that we check our lives virtually on our phones through social media and everything else every nine minutes across any 24-hour period. During waking hours, that'd probably be every five or six minutes, we're checking in. That's how bored we have gotten. Many of us want to grow spiritually, we want to get stronger spiritually, but we recognize to grow spiritually is a little bit like lifting weights. When you begin to grow spiritually, when you begin to develop new spiritual habits, you have to push it up there and it's kind of hard. And you start to feel the stretch in your muscles and it even begins to hurt a little bit. And that's the nature of spiritual growth. And I don't know about you, well, when I begin to lift weights again, after I haven't been for some time, I might get into it for a few days, and then I'm like, can I please have some more kettle corn? Like, this is hard work. I don't know know if I want to do this. And friends, you must embrace that the spiritual life is the same way. If you want to grow spiritually, you must embrace that the spiritual life will require a lot of intentional effort. We've been called the meh generation. You want to get involved in a life group and grow spiritually together in community? Eh. What are your goals for 2019? What are you excited about? Eh. What are you passionate about? What do you want to run after in life? What's exciting in your family? Eh. Eh. We've been called the meh generation. Like, we get kind of interested for a little bit in a million different things, but we don't invest in anything in any substantive way because we recognize it's going to take too much work. At least that's what's happening culturally. I don't know if that's happening in your life or not. That's that's what's happening culturally. Apathy is this. It's an unconcern about two things. It's an unconcern, number one, about what's going on in the world around us. And number two, it's an unconcern with what's going on in my own soul. Those two things. An unconcern with what's happening in my neighborhood, in my hallway, in my school, in the world around me. And an unconcern with what's happening right here. It's been called an epidemic in our culture. Now, it's not new 
Jesus dealt with it in his day as well, and he spoke to it in a beautiful passage in Luke chapter 10. I wonder if you turn there with me now. Luke chapter 10, you find it in Matthew, then Mark, and then the book of Luke in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we would welcome you to pick up a Bible at the exits or at the information table, free to you. That's our gift to you. Uh, we always have the verses up on the screen, and you can read along on those, but there's something powerful about reading your own Bible, marking it up as you go, and learning across the year with our community. So here we are, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to rationalize. He wanted to get around that. He wanted to think of some exceptions to the rule. And so he said, well, what do you mean by neighbor? Like, can you break this down for me a little bit? Do, do you mean like the person that's right next to me, a neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, who was a religious leader, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. He ignored him. So too, a Levite, another religious leader within the Jewish community, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side, ignoring him. But a Samaritan, who was not a part of this religious community, who was different racially, who was different ethnically, who was even a little bit different religiously, who was different socioeconomically, as he traveled, came by to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have incurred. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, of course, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I think if we're honest, all of us can find ourselves in this passage from time to time, can't we? Like, if we really are honest about it, all of us could admit that sometimes we're like the priest or the Levite in the story. That we see a need that is right in front of us and we say someone else can take care of that. That we are in apartment complex and we know that the woman down the hall just lost her mother. Someone else can deal with that. That we notice we're not seeing eye to eye in our marriage and our relationship is starting to grind with each other. But we remain passive. That I'm not getting along with my son, 
And every time we talk, it feels like it's getting defensive and we're getting these arguing matches. But I'm not going to be the one that sits down and says, hey, can we talk about this? It doesn't seem like I'm hearing you very well. Can I understand you a little bit better? That we notice there's this growth of meh cultural Christianity in our souls, which is found oftentimes in places like the Midwest and the American South. We just kind of get along because lots and lots of people go to church and do I really have to put much effort into this? And we choose not to. Why don't we care more? Why don't we? Either about the things that are going on in our own soul or about relationships in our own homes that sometimes are fractured or about the world around us. Why is it that sometimes we get in these spots where we just don't care more? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me too. I'd like to suggest three different reasons that sometimes we do not care more like we should, as Jesus notes in this famous parable of the Good Samaritan. The first two come from pastor and author Craig Groeschel. The third one is mine. Here's the first reason that really resonates with me. Sometimes we don't care more because the volume is just overwhelming, isn't it? Like, we have this 24-7 news cycle that no other people in all of history had, and so we see every hurricane and every forest fire and every tornado and every cat stuck in a tree all the time. And the volume is overwhelming, and our souls cannot take it all in. And so what do our souls do? They turn off. They go numb to all of it. It's a self-protective mechanism because we cannot handle the overwhelming nature of all the stuff that comes to us each and every day in the 24-7 news feed. And then we go onto our Facebook page, and we look at thousands of people that we can connect with there, and many of them have their own aches and pains and relational trials, and they're sharing them with us and I'm not disparaging that in any way. I'm just saying you cannot take it all in. And there's dozens of, co of GoFundMe pages behind each of those. And you cannot give to all of those. You'd like to give to all of them, but you cannot give to all of them. The volume is overwhelming, is it not? Okay? That's one reason. Another reason is this. We are blessed and we are simultaneously cursed with more comfort than any people in all of history. And friends, we have to sometimes come face to face with this reality. I'm not suggesting that we feel guilty about it, but we have to admit that we in America today live like kings and queens. Every day, we do. Like what percentage of people in world history, or even the world today, own a car? What percentage of people in world history or even today own two cars? Like, like our family does. And what percentage of people have two houses with electricity for those two cars? You know what I'm saying? Like, we live like kings and queens with more comfort than anyone has ever known. And that's a great blessing at times for us. But it gets us in this place that we can become numb to problems that people have. Think about this, like how much comfort will we have? We can stream almost every professionally made film that's ever been made 24 hours a day, seven days a week for $10 a month. I would not recommend it, in case you didn't know. But we could do that. Like, that's a blessing in certain ways, but it's also a curse in certain ways, isn't it? It's, it's a comfort, but it has some negative consequences for us. You could walk out of this room right now, 
because you're sick of hearing me preach. And you could go over to the bathroom and say, I want a little break from this. And I'm going to call High V and dial up my grocery list to High V. And by the time I get home, those groceries will be waiting for me on my doorstep. Like, it's just incredible. Who could think of these things? But we live in such a world that you can push anything. Hey, Alexa, buy me this. And two days later, it'll be at your door. We are blessed and we are cursed with more comfort than anyone has ever known before. And I say we are cursed for this reason. We are being amused in our culture to death. We are being entertained to death in our culture. We are being addicted to all of these things, to death. And there's many wonderful blessings to them, but unless we set strict limits on all of these comforts, what will happen is this. They will have negative consequences for how much we care about our own spiritual growth. I promise you that. They will have negative consequences for how much we care about the poor person down the street. They'll have negative consequences for how much energy we are willing to devote to the relationships that are currently broken within our own homes. Number three, one reason that we sometimes don't care more is many people today have forgotten the old proverb, do small things with great love. Do small things with great love. Mother Teresa was asked, how did you do such great things? How did you change the world in such an amazing way? And she said, I never sought to do great things. I sought to do small things with great love. And she did change the world. But she sought to do small things for one person at a time with great love. And the truth of it, the truth of it is, most of us are not going to change the world. But what we can do is we can change our families. And we can change the direction of our souls. And we can change our marriages. And we can perhaps change our neighborhood. And we can perhaps change our school. And we can indeed make a difference. But it means doing what the Samaritan did. Seeing what is right in front of us and going after that. I love what it says about the Samaritan here. In some translations it says, he had pity on the man. In others it said, he was moved with compassion for the man. In the message paraphrase of the Bible it says, when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. His heart went out to him. He expressed compassion for the man. He did one thing for one person who was hurting in a great way and it made a difference in that one person's life and that's what Jesus is oftentimes asking you and me to do. Now friends, if we want to fight against the scourge of apathy in our lives, I'd like to suggest two ways we can do it with a couple principles underneath them. The first one is this. We want to stick this onto us. Live for His greater purpose in our lives. Live for God's greater purpose in our lives, in our work, and in our family, and in the mission that he has given to us, and go after his greater purpose with passion in your life. You've probably heard that story of three men laying bricks. And there's a spectator who sees these three men laying bricks, and they each have the same materials, bricks and mortar. And he goes up to each of them, he goes to the first, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying bricks. And he goes up to the second worker and he says, what are you doing? What's you working on? And he says, I'm building a wall. And he goes up to the third worker and he says, what are you doing? What are you working on? And the third worker says, I'm building a great cathedral for the glory of God. You see, he understood a greater purpose underneath his daily work routine. And so must we. 
If you're an accountant today, you are doing far more than pushing numbers. You are keeping the government off someone's back. Thank you. If you're a farmer today, you're doing far more than just driving a truck. Think of it, you are cultivating God's good earth. You are feeding the world. If, if you're a, a man working on the assembly line down at Baldwin or Eaton, you're not just pushing parts. You're building safer truck tractors and safer trucks. You're part of something bigger than yourself. If you're working out a 12-hour shift at the hospital or at the nursing home, you're not just grinding out that shift. You are restoring dignity to someone else's mother. You're putting together sandwiches at the homeless mission down at Crossroads. You're not just slapping together meat and bread. You are smiling at someone. You are looking in their eyes. You are getting to know their name. You are telling them that they matter to you, and that matters to God. You're caring for your kids. I mean, think about what we do, young moms and young dads, to change diapers and to run around all these errands and to take our kids to all of their activities. And sometimes it can feel like, oh my, this is meaningless, what I'm doing? Moms, dads, anyone? But this is what you're doing. You're building the most important foundation for any healthy culture, which is a healthy family. It's the most important mission that God could give to any of us, is building up a healthy family with what he has given us right now. You're raising up the next generation of leaders. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your might, as unto God and not to men. Work at it with all of your heart. Do it as unto God for the glory and the honor of God because you are working for Him first and foremost, not for any human masters first and foremost. And I tell you what, when you understand God's greater purpose for you in your work, in your family, in your mission, that fuels passion on a day in and day out basis. Friends, what is the greater purpose that God has for you in the mission that He has given you? to you. For some of you, it's caring for disabled kids. Do it with all of your might for the glory of God, even when it gets difficult. There are few things that would be more glorious to Him, few things more precious to Him. For others, it's working with Pastor Kent and Lindsay Denny and helping out downstairs. How beautiful to raise up the next generation of kids. Or with Jordan on Wednesday nights. I mean, it's just so incredible to see the volunteers working with our middle schoolers and high schoolers on Wednesday nights doing an amazing job week in and week out. For others, it's caring for the elderly or it's caring for the homeless. It's fighting against racism. It's some kind of overseas mission. Whatever it might be for you, do it for the glory and honor of God, not for any man, and you will be rewarded for that, and it will fuel your passion. Let me encourage you, choose one of those. Choose one or maybe two of those at the most and focus in on it. Those who make a difference in this world, those who leave an imprint, focus in on one or two areas of mission and they drill down and they say, God, would you use me for your honor and your glory in this? Move me, move me with compassion. Move me with passion for those who are hurting. Ask God to grow this greater purpose and increase your sense of passion wherever you might be serving. I tell you, apathy, 
Apathy must be like the most repulsive emotion on planet Earth. Right? Like when you see someone who's apathetic, who just, eh. Isn't it the worst? But passion attracts. Passion attracts. You want to start a movement? Identify your purpose and do it with passion. Passion attracts and purpose sustains. Apathy repels every single time. Go after it with passion. And then as you do that, as you live for his greater purpose with passion, build up spiritual habits. Build up spiritual habits to grow yourself spiritually along the way. You know, the spiritual life is a really interesting thing. Many, many people are super hardworking in one area of life, but they get apathetic in the spiritual life. Have you ever noticed that? Like, we've been here in Nebraska, Susie and I, for three and a half years now with our family. It's so rare that we see someone who's lazy in the state. I love that. <laughs> I love that about Nebraska. I mean, it's a hardworking, productive people. But it's so interesting to me, right? Like, no matter how hardworking you are on the job, in the spiritual life, if we are not diligent, if we don't develop spiritual habits in the spiritual life, we can get lazy, we can get apathetic in it. And so you can work your tail off in the spiritual life five days a week, doing all that you possibly, I mean, in the, in the physical life, in, on your job, five days a week, but in the spiritual life, you just kind of say, eh, wh whatever. Or you could have a great purpose at home that you know you're working hard for, for your kids and for your husband or for your wife day in and day out at home, but in the spiritual life, you can get lukewarm very, very quickly. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do. I, I want you to, to, to think with me about spiritual habits and how much time we really have. Why is the number 1,440 so significant? Anyone? Anyone know? It's the number of minutes that you have in your day. Every day. It's the number of minutes that I have in my day. Last time I checked, we all have the same amount. Contrary to what some people tell you. We all have the same number of minutes. 1,440 of them. Now, what if you work nine hours a day, five days a week, and you sleep, if you're lucky, eight hours a day, five days a week, guess how many minutes you're left with? 420 minutes. What you do with that 420 minutes will determine the impact you make on the people around you. It will determine your spiritual health. Let me ask you another question. Do you keep your appointments? I'm guessing you do. I'm guessing when you make appointments with the doctor or with the dentist or with your boss, you keep your appointments. So what if we committed this in the new year? Making and keeping a 20-minute daily appointment with our Creator. What if we committed ourselves to that? That out of the 1,440 minutes we have each day, out of the 420 discretionary minutes that we have each day, we commit ourselves to keeping a 20-minute appointment with God. Like, do you realize that most people, if they committed themselves to it, could read through the entire Bible in about 15 to 20 minutes per day? Now, I recognize that feels like a marathon to some of us who have never read through the Bible, and so I'm not recommending that for you. Let me recommend a 5K instead. Read through the New Testament this year. Just read through the New Testament. It's 260 chapters. You could read through the New Testament two days out of three in about seven minutes a day. 
one chapter a day, two days out of three. Then with the next 13 minutes, maybe you choose to memorize 10 verses this year. So you take 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day working on memorizing those 10 verses. Another 10 minutes, yeah, you spend praying through your world, praying through the challenges that you're currently facing, praying through the challenges that your family is facing, praying for others that you know who are hurting. And you do that as a commitment, 20 minutes each and every day. I promise you over the next three months, you will have new spiritual habits. Amen, I heard over here. A lot of amens around this room. You'll have new spiritual habits in 20 minutes a day over the next couple months. Why is it so quiet in this room? Am I challenging you too much? Friends, we can do this. This is a 5K. We could get into it together. Building this spiritual habit of making an appointment each and every day and keeping it with God. I write it in my calendar. This is my God time for Bible and prayer, 20 minutes each day. And that is my spiritual habit. At least it's one of them. Here's another habit. Limit your use of all the different social media mechanisms and text messaging and especially Netflix. Especially Netflix. To specific times each day. Just limit it. I'm not telling you to eliminate it. Um, I use these things, but I can tell you from experience, these things will dampen your joy. If you give yourself too much to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Netflix, it will dampen your joy, it will decrease your passion, it will minimize your sense of purpose in this world. Limit it to specific times. Redeem it. Use it for good. I seek to use those platforms for good. I do use them. But I can tell you from personal experience, I've been abused by them. Because the simple truth is, they want your habits. Friends, I can't say this strongly enough. You are the sum of your habits. You are what you eat. You are what you take in day in and day out. And this is what will happen to each of us. We develop habits and habit turns into character over time, and character over time determines your destiny. Habits to character, character to destiny. And YouTube, and Netflix, and Facebook, and Instagram, they want your destiny. They are not neutral. They want your character, they want your time, they want your habits. And so we must be so intentional about putting strict limits on them such that we would retain our passion and fight off the scourge of apathy. I pray that you're with me and I pray that you would set limits. There are people I know who limit it to 15 minutes three times a day. That's how they do it. Okay? You have to figure that out. It's not black and white. There's plenty of gray in it. You have to figure it out. But isn't it amazing how quickly you can lose an hour? Ooh, baby. Am I talking to anyone else in this room? Okay. Lastly, and most importantly, confess apathy and receive the unconditional, unstoppable, never giving up grace of God. Perhaps even today. We tend not to confess this one because we see it as no big deal. And for sure, there are certain sins that we can commit that will immediately change the whole direction of our lives. They will mess up our destiny almost immediately in terms of the imprint that we leave on this world. Apathy is not one of those. What apathy will do is more like a virus. 
that slowly grows within your soul until one day you wake up and you realize, I've lost my joy. I've lost my passion. I've lost my sense of meaning. And I'm stuck. And I feel sick. So there's no better day than today to come face to face with that and then come face to face with the grace of God that forgives you every time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we come to the communion table. We thank you for your great love for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you chose to die for us at a great, great cost. And I have to remind myself sometimes that it wasn't for nothing that Jesus chose to die. It was for my sins. It was for my failures. It was for the many ways that I have missed the mark. Very specifically, Jesus came to die for me and for the ways that I have failed. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. So, Father, I ask that you would do some work in us, even right now. Now is the time, before we come to the communion table, to admit to God that I have missed the mark, Lord, in this area. Maybe it's with respect to apathy. Maybe it's an area of lust or anger or greed or selfishness. Maybe it's bitterness and unforgiveness. I don't know. But for just a moment of silence, would you ask the Lord what it might be for you? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came here to earth to die for all of those sins that by themselves would separate us from the holiness of God. And so you offered yourself, the righteous one for our unrighteousness, to forgive us and to bring us to you. For that we are so thankful. And we thank you now, Lord, for the bread that remembers your body, which was given for us. Would you prepare our hearts to take this meal to be nourished by it as we remember the cost you paid to forgive us, to realign us to your glory. We give you thanksgiving and praise through Jesus we ask.